0: Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk asked me what I'm wearing today. Bracken, what are you wearing today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ah <laughs> uh, guess who wore those yesterday
1: themselves. Yep. I'm wearing the Hoka Evo Jaws on my feet right now in honor of Kirk DeWint racing this weekend. I tuned in to Mark Battress's Instagram mm-hmm. Live. And I saw some bright blue, beautiful shoes flashing across the screen.
0: You must be going for performance today in this podcast, Bracken. I expect something great out of you. How did they feel? How did they feel to slip those babies out and racing them? So good. So good. In fact, I got done with my race the shoes are in okay shape i've raced in them a number of times i'm like i'm gonna go and buy another pair It's i don't know even know if they're easy to find right now but nope they're not they're not flat courses it is they're money they're so money you said uh i don't know maybe a month or two back that you always pick a shoe off the wall and wear it while we record podcasts so you always have a performance mm-hmm. running shoe on while sitting there really doing nothing almost always yeah And so do you normally pick a different shoe every time or do you have like your favorite podcasting shoe from the wall? I don't always wear
1: shoes. It's just when it's cold. And today, I don't know about you guys, but with our wind chill right now, we're at negative nine. And this is obviously my room that connects to the porch. So it's the most outside facing of our room. So it's just chilly in here. So I needed shoes today. And as soon as I walked in, I knew exactly what I was wearing today. But no, no, I I don't wear the same ones every time. But I have actually found myself kind of gravitating towards one or two or the others. Some some shoes aren't comfortable to sit stationary in, and some really are.
0: I can imagine a tight fitting Evo Jaws would be one that is not comfortable. I just looked at ours, Bracken. I'm gonna do the whole one up thing. It is negative 27 with the wind chill here right now. Negative 12 real temp. It is frozen <laughs> up here. That's very very cold. Yeah. I interrupted you. You were going to say something.
1: Well, I was going to say that a obviously, cats out of the bag. Kirk Dwent, raced this weekend. I did. And day one, I tuned into some Instagram live and saw you running in your neon, like volt yellow, uh, Scott Kimbalu RCs. I believe those were. Am I correct on that?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you had the those. Those Kimbaloos on one, and then day two you showed up in the ska, or the, in the Hoka Evo jaws, and I thought
0: that's, that's a good week of work right mm-hmm. there. Robert Koble, who is like, what is Robert Koble's position with Spartan? Head of sport? Like he's one of those like kind like official official the official official. No,
1: I think Watson's head of sport. Well, I think Watson's director of sport and Coble, yeah, head of official. Head official and something else. He still wears multiple hats.
0: Yeah, well, I was trying to BS with him before the start of the race on day one. And he called me out on my shoes. He's like, Jesus, look at those shoes. Like, new year, new you, new shoes. What's going on here? I was like, oh, Robert. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. But come on, Robert. I didn't know he had sass in him like that. He made fun of my shiny shoes. He's like, you need to get some dirt on those. I said, well, give me about an hour. So... I did. He's a cyclist. Mm-hmm.
1: He has a pro cycling background. Yeah. They're, those are gearheads more than anyone else's. He should get it. Yeah. He should get it. They show up on camera, though. tell you what. They were every bit as
0: bright on screen as they are in real life. Yeah, they're real bright. Well, they are pretty new. I only ran them a couple times. But um, I think this is the year, Bracken. Um, this is going to sound like a silly take. But um, we talk sort of for a living now, right? Like, we talk. Mm-hmm. Every week, we talk for how many hours into the microphone? We have two hours for our Friday episode, two hours with Race Brain, at least an hour for our training Tuesday. For five hours a week to six hours, we talk. And I'm like, kind of sick yeah. of talking. And I don't mean like I'm sick of doing this. I mean, less talk, more action. I didn't need to go mm-hmm. out and say I'm going to or want to or whatever. Like, we talk enough, if that makes sense. I'm done talking. Mom is gonna show up and work. And that's what's gonna happen now. I don't nobody needs to know what I'm doing. I don't really care. And I think you're in the same boat. Let's talk more action. So that's twenty twenty three for me, and that's what this weekend was about. Um going out and and putting things into action. That's simple. You doing okay over there? Well Yeah.
1: Oh tickle in my throat here.
0: Bracken's uh putting himself on on mute and coughing up a lung over there, but hope you're okay. I still am coughing things up. From whatever I was sick with at
1: Thanksgiving, which is in itself ridiculous. That's two months now no. of <laughs> post-viral phlegm, whatever's going on. But I no, I love that. I love that attitude. And it's been a long time since we've raced consistently. And I just said yes to a race this morning, Whoa. which we can talk about <laughs> off
0: mic. Are you, well, you can't. Is that it's, it's the year of being about it. Hold on. So you can't. Can you just dangle that and then just leave it like that? That's how you're going to be? Yep. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Okay. Well, you
1: you and I had talked that you were thinking about flying out to California to race. Yeah. And I don't think you ever told me that you bought the flight. I really didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell
0: you I bought the flight.
1: And so the first I knew that you were racing for sure was when I got a message from an athlete that said, looks like Kirk's ripping it up this morning. Oh, yeah. And I immediately snapped on over to Instagram, and luckily Bottris was going live, and I got to watch the second half of the race.
0: Hmm.
1: That's the type of, of of what would we call it, I don't know, like ninja assassin type show up to races unannounced that I support early in this season. I like it. Yeah. You don't have to make waves beforehand, just do it during.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't say I made waves, but um, I think what we should do, so today's episode is going to be well, about- you won yeah I won yeah yeah, <laughs> but there's some you know when you so I've traditionally been training like a runner since mm-hmm. March, so i the last spear I threw was San Luis obispo the uh in March of last year, the last compromise workout I did was late February or March of last year, and then I've just classically been training as a runner and really enjoying it to be honest, um and I've seen my metrics really improve, which has been fun. Um, And we'll get into this uh, as we go, but how I feel it translated to the weekend, what I took away from it, and then, I don't know, just kind of like shifting my mindset after getting back out on course, which felt like very, very, uh, very helpful, like almost long enough away where you forget how it feels, and that reminder is a little bit of a slap Mm -hmm. in the face, like a really nice slap in the face, one that's like satisfyingly stinging, Um, if there's such a thing, it was kind of how I felt after this weekend, how much, how you probably felt after Decca strong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say so, except that I didn't run a step. And so I got all of that, but in a different venue and it didn't quite clarify where my run fitness stands where I know where my run fitness stands, but a race always tells you a little bit more, or maybe it tells you a little more aggressively than what
0: you've been telling yourself. Totally. Teaching to the test, I did not, we will say. Um, so I chalk this weekend yeah. up as a big win. I think what I, what I would like to do, if you're cool with this, is just talk about, because so many people sent me questions like, what's the new spear throw like? What is the what is the situation this year? How are the penalty loops? Like, what is the setup? I think we should kind of talk about that first. Did you get a good sense from watching yeah. Mark Bottas' live feed about, like, I don't know how the feel was with the penalty loops and everything else a decent feel
1: when i when i finished i wanted to get on an episode with you right away mm. when i finished when i finished watching your race when yeah. you finish uh, because it was so apparent that there were things going on out there on the course that were worth talking about a the structure of the setup of the race which everyone in the ocr world that will get something out of this episode yeah. But for people who, and this is going to be a very OCR specific episode, yep. but the people who aren't in this world, this will be a really good uh, example of the opposite side of the coin, which is how you react to a race early on, what you, what you take away from it and what you value and what you don't value. We had talked yep. in the past about don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. One bad race or one good race or one uh, come to Jesus moment cannot make you throw your training plan out, but it can change the way you think about what you do next and maybe some points of emphasis. So this is kind of just like reacting to a race one-on-one, and I'm excited for that because you and I haven't done that in a long time, yep. and it's the start of the year literally. We're in January, and it's I want to just roll with that.
0: Yeah, and just setting the tone for expectations for you guys listening because I know, you know, the U.S. National or the the Age Group National Series is coming up and people are getting antsy to race and not everybody, you know, most of the people looking through the results were local. A few traveled like I did, but not many. So I know a lot of you listening haven't raced yet. Um, but and I had some good chats with Steve Hammond, like him and I probably spent a couple hours chatting, um, which was great. Um, cool. That guy's fantastic. And I kind of pride him, you know, what how things are going. Um, with Spartan, what the thought process is behind the year um all of those things, so I have some of that I think I can share, but mm-hmm. basically w- what they did as far as penalty loops, so there were no burpees anymore um and as far as penalty loops go, the aim was to make them about forty five to sixty seconds roughly um if somebody 's running like uh maybe like an age group male pace let 's say so uh, give or take now this venue's really tight so it end up being like a you know sometimes zigzaggy that annoying stuff it's not like you just get to run out 100 meters and back it's like these things that just break your rhythm and you're cutting 90 degrees or 180 degrees and um and so it's kind of like that rhythm breaking stuff some things had like like a low crawl at the spear throw if you missed but um, that was the shortest penalty loop apparently, which took us about thirty seconds. But um, forty-five to sixty seconds sounds like the aim of the penalty loops, which I think is a fair penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm being honest, both Glenn and I missed our spears on Sunday. I missed uh, one inch to the right both days. I mean, like when people say an inch, you're like yeah, you missed an inch to the right. No, like I thought my spear was going to go in both days. Like I was like, it's good, and it and it didn't. But what it did is. The penalty loop kept the race really... Did you watch the video? Sorry, did you watch the video? I did last
1: night. Why? (laughs) Because Batras thought it was going in, too. And first of all, shout out to Mark. Mark did a great job capturing it. Yeah, thank you, I thought he did a good job, but he groaned. When you missed it, he went, oh! And Lisa was in the room. And she (laughs) goes, what is going on over (laughs) there? I said, uh, Kirk just missed his spear by a millimeter, and, and the cameraman could not believe it.
0: What's satis- This is going to sound really weird, but what's satisfying about missing the spear now, which is a complete contradictory sentence, is as long as you don't miss by a mile, there's a wood backing to it. So if you miss, it hits the wood super hard. Like you unceremoniously used to miss your spear would just whiff. There'd be nothing right. It just wouldn't stick. Now you get like a firm rejection. Like you hit it and it's like a firm <laughs> bat back, and you're like, dang! Like there's no question. You hit. Or you miss, and it makes this huge loud sound when the spear hits the wood. And you just like, I don't know why, it, not that it's satisfying, but it was like, a sa- it's a satisfying feeling. I was like, oh, that was kind of felt good. I kind of wanted to whip it at the board again. But nonetheless, you know if you've missed or hit it because wow. that board is, you know, rejects you. But, anyways, so 45 to 60 second um, penalty loops. Um, there were no new obstacles at this venue other than the spear throw setup change. I will say per square inch maybe, Bracken, I would say the new spear throw is probably half to two-thirds the square inches as the last spear. It is notably smaller. It's not even two hay bales tall, and it's it's a circle, so I don't know what the circumference is on this thing. But um, immediately when I was there, I mean, it's probably – caused the elite misses to go from like 20% to like 70%. It was bad. I think two, mm. one or two in the top 10 day one hit it. Um, and so it it's not, it's going to coming down to the three K format for the elite national series and having to throw that spear three times at that target is going to be so fun to watch. Like getting through clean three for three, two things about that. Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah.
1: First thing, that circular target matters because a lot of the hits in the past came top right, top left, bottom left, bottom right. Yep. Those those corners aren't available anymore. Nope. Like you used to be able to aim for a spot and miss by a foot any direction. Can't do that now because the corners are gone. Second thing is, do you have confirmation, if you can say it, that there are spears in the 3K format? No,
0: I don't. I guess I was projecting there. Okay. Gotcha. Did they not say they what I guess i don't I don't know if they've addressed it, have they?
1: Well, because there's the laser pistol question, sure. Would they have pistol
0: and spear? Yeah, I think the spear would be i mean such a change up bracken like it would it would it's gonna hold a lot of weight if they use it, and I think it would make it much more exciting. You know on the foam targets how you have the circle Spartan spray painted on the black foam targets we used last year. Mm-hmm. It's about the size of that except just expanded just a hair. I would say. So like if mm-hmm. you can hit the Spartan in the middle of that black target every time, you're gonna be good, but it's it's notably smaller. They did move it a little closer. It sounds like they moved it a couple feet closer because of that, but overall much more difficult spear throw, which was the big the really the only thing that stood out as far as the weekend goes, as far as like obstacles. Um buckets were heavy. They used a sixty pound sandbag, which felt heavy enough. Um they didn't skimp on that stuff, which was mm-hmm. good. I'll say that Watching the spear throw, it
1: changed my perspective of what I felt about penalty loops. Not not changed my perspective, but maybe pushed me more towards where I was starting to lean, which is, it's much better for the sport, in my opinion, than burpees. I used to really like the idea that it punished mistakes. A burpee was really, 30 burpee penalty is really tough to come back from, time-wise alone even for the fastest burpeers, that's 75 seconds in the middle of a race for mm. a set of 30 burpees but it's really more like 90 seconds for most people plus the the just the accumulated fatigue from going through that exercise 30 times but watching you and Mark I mean uh you and Glenn come through with about a 10 second lead miss your spear and come out about 20 seconds behind mm-hmm. 25 it was exactly what a race needed, which was it gave someone a new lease on life going from third to first with a full head of steam and a little bit of breathing room, but it didn't remove hope from the people who just failed. You guys both turned and immediately attacked your loop rather than kind of the old-fashioned throw your hands up, walk over to burpees, and realize we're a mile and a half from the finish, the race is done. It was, if we get to work and really hammer, if we're good enough and tough enough, we can reel this person back in in a mile, in a mile and a half. We can make up 20 seconds in a mile if we're that much better or tougher. And it worked out so that you guys caught back up Mm -hmm. with like three obstacles to go. And so it... From a outside perspective of watching the race, it was just enough penalty to matter and just short enough that it didn't give anyone anything free. And I I found myself liking that. And that that, that goes against form for me. In the past, I liked the idea that if I hit my spear and they miss, it's done. I can just waltz in. But maybe I don't feel that anymore.
0: It kept the race very exciting. Um, You wouldn't have, I mean, for a low production Footage Like Mark took, obviously he was on a golf cart, um, or a Gator following, um, that race would have been kind of a snooze fest if there were burpees involved afterwards. It would have, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would have been, um, a much different dynamic. Uh, so I agree with that. It kept it, it kept me engaged as an athlete too, knowing like failing something is not ideal. And obvi- and I would have won that race if I hit my spear. And I have no, honestly, I have no regrets about, I have done no lead up. I have done no practice. I don't care. This was just for fun. And that was the best part of it was I had fun. I get hurt. Don't get me wrong. And it sucked mm-hmm. a little at time, but I had fun. But nonetheless, um, I like the penalty loop. I like the penalty loop uh, vibe. I did see, you know, pretty low standards in the age group as far as uh, judging on some stuff like, People were, people were cutting corners a little or hopping on the Z wall around the first, around the entire first corner. Cause the judge couldn't see them. I saw two guys do that. You know, there's one volunteer watching all the walls. Like, it's funny. Cause after the race, both days, I went and ran the course backwards just to see who was running age group and cheer everybody on, which was a lot of fun. And you mm-hmm. start picking up on some of that stuff that you forget happens back there. I'm not calling out anybody. So in particular, isn't it? but Yeah, it's, it's. You know, I saw somebody miss their spear with a with a red headband on, and they just like, kept running, right? Like, just they didn't go do the penalty loop. Like, there's enough chaos that it's hard to regulate, and you know mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And I don't even know what I'm getting at by saying that, but it's just it was just fun to watch like humans like do human things. I don't condone cheating, but it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. see Les Cowan out there? I did. He looked good. I think he took
1: third in his age group. He had a good weekend. Third? Yeah, in uh, both days, I believe. Unless he took second day two, but he missed his spear in the lead mm-hmm. on day two. That's tough. Yeah, I had a good weekend.
0: So, yeah, so overall, I would say the the event was, talking to Steve, uh, much better attended than last year. Their numbers are trending the right direction. They feel like they're kind of getting themselves out of the hole with the unbreakable pass and... Um, and overall registrations are up already so that's good for them um this is not out of steve's mouth this is out of somebody else's mouth so steve this isn't coming from you but um it sounds like uh you know they talked about maybe having like a premiere like 10 races or something that were paid throughout the year it doesn't look very likely that's going to happen this year so it looks like um on the elite side, the only way you're getting paid is at the North American Elite Series races, the 3K. That's it. There's going to be no regular Spartan Race payouts um, at all. So you had no no prizes for winning this weekend? Um, I got a plaque, which I don't – I mean, that's for me, that's good enough. I don't do this for a living. As funny as that sounds, I do this for satisfaction, so – Mm-hmm. um and heck when you chase the uh u.s national series i rarely come home with a paycheck or anything of note so like whatever but yeah so that so that was the overview from what i understood it sounded like there were even talks like at some point like you know joe DeSeno was like hey we need to like do we even make competitive waves for a year and just lick our wounds and not give out prize money and let the sport just be like tough mutter-esque for a year so we can you know get ourselves Back above water, and I guess that got strongly vetoed by the athletes that work for Spartan, and so at least that was squashed. Okay, yeah, so it could be worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to think of any other updates. So, anything you picked out that maybe I'm missing was Olympus still slippery? Yeah, still slippery. Yeah, still slippery. still slippery. Yeah, same, same deal, but no, no, else I think you different. covered the main, I think you covered the main.
1: Uh, points that I would want to know. What I want to know now is, is what it felt like because we've, we've been able to follow along. We know that you've been doing a lot of just grindy thresholdish, straight running workouts. Mm-hmm. You've been building your volume, your frequency, your run metrics are improving. Kind of feels like every single month you're doing no CR work, very little trail work because of your new location yep. and your love for the roads and your alphas. Yeah. And then that's always the big question is if you build something in a vacuum, how does it feel on race day, especially if you're running on roads and just getting better at running and now you have to go run off road and now like an OCR combining it with compromise running and all that. So I want to hear all of that because from my perspective on the outside, it looked like you were the fastest runner and it looked like Glenn had done the most races and obstacles in the last six months out of anyone there you can tell he's been doing a lot of deca stuff he's fast in and out of things and then you would put your running to work once you're kind of like your 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 odometer took a little while your speedometer to to rev up until you're fast paced but once you were there you could just keep rolling
0: Mm -hmm. whereas
1: he seemed to top out speed wise at times but could get up to it very quickly
0: yeah, no, that's true. Well, I could just sum it up in two words if you want to read my screen name today. Oh, I haven't even looked. Let me take a look here.
1: Low mod. <laughs>
0: okay. I mean, if you follow along, you that is probably... a race brain reference. That's your that's your baby. What does it mean? What does it stand for, Bracken Maud?
1: Maximum available under duress. Basically, means once you've been kicked in the gut and your legs hurt and you're gasping. Then what can you do with your with your fitness? So now, how much fitness do you bring in? It's once you're under duress, how much fitness do you have available?
0: Yep, exactly. Um, speaking of acronyms, um, did you see that message about after we released our uh, like our, our little segment of us when we were trying to figure out the name of our podcast? And for some reason, I said the Reach Around Podcast, and somebody's <laughs> like s- sneaky. Like, what's the acronym for? Uh, reach around podcast i was like trp what's the acronym for the running public uh trp it's like coincidence i think not wow we found a way that's that's freudian that is some yeah that is some real deep work from one of our listeners but um yeah so it's been a weird month for me because uh, i got covid and it hit me really hard and i haven't felt generally good um but mm-hmm. i didn't want that to stop me from going and racing i didn't think that was really a valid excuse, and I was like half of my almost all my workouts have felt terrible, but I wanted to get out and race and thought it would be good to shake the system and I think my body gave me like an eight out of ten as far as how it felt, which is good, like it had been much worse, so I was happy in that front um but the the main thing what I was curious about is so as you listeners know if you've been listening for a bit. The only what we would call compromise work I've been doing is aerobic. I'm, I'm on the assault bike at 130 beats per minute, hop off, do some strength work, get back on. I keep it aerobic. So I've been in between anaerobic and aerobic efforts or strength and aerobic efforts. Um, I am here to tell you that sure, it might have laid a nice foundation, did not translate at all. You need to do that work <laughs> with the high heart rate. It is a completely different monster. What would you have predicted out of that experiment?
1: That it needs to be paired with the next stage. Correct. That you wouldn't feel it coming off this stage. Uh, You'd be probably better suited for a high rocks than an OCR race right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I found that like, although I think I could now build or progress really quickly on this, like in three weeks, I could be in a completely different place. Doing aerobic work, sure that's mm-hmm. like laying a base foundation, but it doesn't translate directly to the race course. And by that I mean again like, this like aerobic heart rate, strength to cardio, either an easy run and then strength or an easy assault bike and then strength. So that out the window mm-hmm. for sure. Um second thing is that um time away, like I was not a great obstacler at all in the sense where Glenn would gain three seconds on me on everything, and then I'd have to reel him back in. And right by the time we got to the next obstacle, I'd catch him. Then again, I had another freaking three seconds to make up, and that went on the entire way. Now, day one, I was able to run out front, um, and I took my time on stuff. Like, I knew I had a lead. I wasn't pressured. And then when we got in the race with Glenn, I was like, oh, that's the level in which needs this needs to happen at because I had – the comfortability on Saturday winning, you know, out front. Um, And so uh, getting exposure to that stuff is super important. And I am telling you just from the little bit, you know, what Spartan seems to be doing, and I actually like this, and VJ Jones described this after San Luis Obispo last year. I don't know if you remember this. He said San Luis Obispo basically was a 5K cross-country course and then a 5K super dense Spartan sprint. Like they kind of keep the first half open, And then the second half they shove it down your throat and that's what they did here in both the super and the sprint Mm -hmm. and i can't say i don't hate it because you have to keep yourself in check early otherwise it's going to smack you on the back half really bad and so what i'm getting at is how dense everything was on the back half it seems to be this format spartan's going to you know they they put 90 percent of the obstacles in half the race is that if you translate that to the 3K format and how often you're going to be on and off things and in and out of things, it's, a, it's going to be a completely different race than anybody's ever experienced in Spartan racing. I don't even know if running is going to matter nearly as much as we think it will. I think you are doing mm-hmm. 33% running, 33% obstacling, and 33% carrying. And I think all of those other components are going to matter as much or more than the running. And I don't know why the dense back yeah. half that stood out to me. Cause even I got a pump in my forearms. I was like, what? I mean, I haven't been training it, but like my grip was, was kind of like on the hurt. i I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm out of practice, but yeah. nonetheless, it made me think if I had to do three laps, where would I be? Like you better be training your grip folks. If you're not, you're screwed.
1: Yeah. It was interesting to watch. And it really hit home to me that it's the running's going to matter In this 3k format but it's not going to be about speed it's going to be about not going slow Mm -hmm. that's 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 not a very eloquent statement but it's not going to be about who can run fast it's about who can avoid running slow a fast pace on lap two and three of that 3k just going 100 to 200 meters between obstacles might be 550 pace might be Mm -hmm. six minute pace for guys that could probably drop down to 5 flat during a 10k. It's it's going to be a different type of running. It it kind of flashed me back for a little bit last year that uh that 2 mile short course that they put on at Spartan Race World Championships in like 2014. I don't know if you watched that video mm. where we had like 12 obstacles in a 600 meter lap. No, and I didn't do it. 5 times or something like that. And I was closing hard. I went from second last to second place over the last two and a half laps because I missed my first spear. You had a spear every lap with 10 burpee penalty. Mm. And I was closing hard because I I caught whatever, 10 people and probably never until the last hundred meters ran faster than like six minute pace. Mm-hmm. It was just getting back up to speed over and over. No matter what that speed was, it was getting back up to it. And that's how your second half looked. It was you could tell you guys were running hard, but I'd love to see your Strava data of how fast were you guys actually running? Did you take a look at that? No, I haven't.
0: I don't think it was very fast. Like if we were, and again, this is Is it weird. up on Strava? Uh, Yeah, I uploaded it. I mean, as we were getting down, maybe like 545 pace. I'm going to take a look right now. Which I know, whatever, we've had this conversation about fast and slow, but 5.45 pace at that level didn't feel very fast. It was like, okay, we're we're kind of hanging on. But If you warmed up uh. for a race
1: and then started and ran one mile at 5.45, how many of those could you run in a row before you could physically no longer run 5.45 anymore? Uh, 20 plus maybe? Right. So at the end of a three-mile race to be reduced to... Your 20-mile race pace, maybe your marathon race pace, Mm -hmm. shows how much that mod score matters. 100%. Being able to take the dings of obstacles and still run fast. Yeah. So Let's check your analysis.
0: All right. Do you have it pulled up right now? See what it takes? I do, but I'm on my phone. Well, don't want to bore the listeners too much. Your average pace
1: was 730 per mile, but
0: that's with obstacles, so that's tough to look at. Average heart rate, 170 BPM. That's actually lower than I thought. Um, let's see. I mean, you can see pacing in the chart goes below 5-minute pace at times, but it's right about where I thought it was. The back half, it slows down. Once you got past a mile and a half, slows So you got below
1: 5-minute pace several times from the start until a mile and a quarter mile mile and a half mm-hmm. and then from a mile and a half on there there's some big chunk of time missing there there must have been a big obstacle at mile and a half and from then on you didn't go below five until the final little bit what hundred meters there yeah and you got close to it a few times but it looks like you sat between five thirty and six for a lot of the back half of that
0: it's hard to tell but yeah something like that I, I ran faster in the super the day the day before, even when we went out on day two. So Bracken and I had this conversation on the side, but um, I didn't know if I was going to race Sunday. I Bracken, I guess you've dealt with this. You talked to me about it, but some SI joint issue popped up. And after my race on Sunday, oh. um, my lower back was really tight and all the way down my hamstring – hurt. And I was just walking to the porta potty and somebody stabbed a knife into my lower back and my legs buckled and I almost dropped to my knees. And that kept happening Saturday after the race. And you've been there before and I've had moments of it. And then Mm -hmm. like, I couldn't even like, I'm laying in my bed after the race being like, I don't, I don't like, I don't even know if it's smart for me to race the next day. And so, um, so I got there and warmed up and it still felt terrible in the warm up. And I was like, well, just go run. And if it happens, then I'll just drop. Like the course isn't very big. I can just walk back to the festival area at any point. But what I'm getting at is in the super, if you look at the first mile, I ran faster in the super and then in the sprint, like I ran, I actually did. I ran faster the first day on my own. And then the second day I just kept saying, okay, Mm -hmm. like, let's just, uh, let's wait for somebody to make a move. And so that's why I didn't go out harder i i went with the pace people kept asking me that were you holding back or were you guys running that fast i was like well we were running fast enough but i certainly wasn't going to take the lead after racing the day before and seeing how my back felt and and then about a mile in, glenn interjected a a real serious pace and then the race actually begun and um, my back held up thank god Um, but it wasn't it wasn't fantastic. So I was forced into racing it no matter what. And Glenn, Glenn sure knows how to race. He's a gritty dude. Mm-hmm. So um, so that turned into a lot of fun. But um, I know you're – are you still looking up data? Is that what you're doing?
1: Yeah, I was just looking at your splits for your first couple. You're on the exact same mile within a second of each other, mile one and mile two. Between the
0: two races? Day one and day two. Well, right. That just yeah. says, yeah, where we were at. That's – really? Within a – Yeah. Within a second. According to Strava. Yeah. One second apart. Yeah. The other takeaways is um, how I feel about it is I have done no carry work. I've done no obstacle work. So I went in as a classically trained runner and I do strength work, which typically before any OCRs I care about, I'm doing compromise work beforehand. Um, I will tell you that specific compromise work absolutely prepares you better to go access your fitness. So it needs to happen. (laughs) Before these races without question, but where I didn't feel lacking is, and we always talked about the great Hobie call this way, like he's a smaller stature compared to a lot of guys, but he is one of the best heavy carriers carries all they come down to is the single sandbag. If you're not on a mountain course, anyways, it's engine it's complete engine. apparently they had the same bucket carry as last year and Hawk and Rylan and Mark and Glenn all ran last year as well. And I was still able to have the fastest bucket carry on the Strava segment of last year and this year. I haven't been carrying. And I'm not saying my engine's great, but, like... You set the fastest bucket split from from last year? And this year, yeah. But... Nice. Well, Glenn and I tied on day two um, because we were pushing pretty hard. Um, But nonetheless, totally translated to carries. No problem. That's an engine thing. It really is. Get it and go but it didn't translate to the other stuff, the rhythm-breaking stuff. I don't know if that would have caught you, like, surprised you Mm -hmm. or not, but it surprised me. I was like, oh, carries are fine. You find the same thing? Did you come off it tired? Yeah, but not even, like, after bracing on Olympus. Like, going across Olympus, doing the Valsalva maneuver across, holding your breath, tightening your core, tensing up, not really breathing like you should. Interesting. Way more gas coming off Olympus or... Really wet monkey bars day two, like I mean, dripping with dew, that sort of thing. Way more gas off of that than like a carry. Uh huh. Mm. So yeah, those monkey bars looked very wet. They're disgusting. Um. So so what what I think the overview would be like, I always tell like I have athletes. I don't know about you, but some of them are getting itchy to get their compromised work programmed for them, and some I'm like, no, we're gonna lay the foundation so we can build the building later. And I think it's true. I mm-hmm. think it translates like eight out of ten right? Like if you want to go race, like I I reached 80% or 85% of my potential, but like, there's a, that's a lot to leave on the table. And so it sets you up. And I truly believe in three to four weeks, I could be ready to roll, but nothing replaces time Mm -hmm. on course, wrapping your mind around how to get in and out of things quickly, especially if you're looking to eke out those couple percentages. And maybe you're different than me, whoever's listening, but, um, Teaching to the test is, is very important. I think I I honestly thought I was going to roll in there Bracken and it was going to, I was just going to high step the whole way being like, I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. so confident in my fitness. I was like, this running didn't feel anything like the running I've been doing on the County highways in my alpha flies. It's like, (laughs) well, no shit. Yeah. So I don't know. What did it appear to you watching from the outside? I guess any takeaways overall other than the stuff you've already mentioned? Well, it was interesting to see the contrast
1: between experience and rust, where you've done plenty of OCR races and you know what to do, but you were also rusty. Yeah. So a few times you closed down, like over over the hurdles, you closed down big on that because you remembered how to accelerate into obstacles. You closed down on people getting into almost every single obstacle, but through and off, Totally. Several obstacles, you gave up chunks of time. Z-Wall, you gave up a chunk of time. The rig, you gave up a chunk of time. Even though you got into them faster, you closed on them getting in, and it looked like where normally you would make the move coming off. You closed in, like, I know what to do. I know how to do this. Oh, my hands aren't quite used to it. looked like that disconnect between, come on, hands move faster. Why, why aren't you moving totally. faster? Like, totally. We know what to do, but... Oh, we're out of rhythm. It's it, You could see that. Yep. I At least it looked apparent to me that you knew what to do, but you hadn't done it in long enough that you had to relearn a little bit.
0: Yeah, and the feeling of which you don't think go to SoCal, go soak up the sun, go run in 70 degrees. Well, it was 42 degrees at race start on Saturday morning and 48 on Sunday. But after you go through the dunk wall, that water was in the 40s. At, I mean, it was mm-hmm. knock the wind out of you. Arms and legs don't function like they should. And even something as simple as that, forgetting that feeling, like then getting on the rig and being like, why aren't my arms working? Why well, can't, like, I am in slow motion. And mm-hmm. like those weird things you forget about um, definitely came to light. I was like, well, I can't run like I want to. My le- I can't even feel my legs. And it was just really bizarre. It was just like one of those things where it's like, yeah, you want to race well at OCR, like you've got to get out on course and you got to do it often. I think I think it's just as simple as that. Not that that's profound, but it's true. Okay, so
1: let's say me. Let's say I'm going to have my first race two months from now. Yep. And I'm not planning on going to do anything between now and then. Did you feel anything out there on course that you said, okay, if I hadn't, now that I felt it, if I had to go replicate this again, but I don't have another race option... I could do this at home by doing blank. Did you have that at all? Or was it purely a, I think I need to race to get this.
0: I think I could get 75% of the way there in training. And I think the extra 25 would have to come from Mm. actually being out there in the elements, little things like rolling mud where you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. But you're like, why does that burn my quads so bad? How come that took so much out of me? What does the running feel like after that? That's tough to emulate, but I think you can get most of the way there in training. 100%. I think if you have a big race coming up, um let's say you're going to Jacksonville for the age group opener, I I don't think you can race your best. I don't want to speak for everybody, but I don't think you can go there and have your best performance if if that's your first in f- 4 months. For example, I just th- I think you will end up leaving something on the table. And that's okay. That's I mean you have to start your season somewhere, mm-hmm. but um for me it's no questions asked. Like the key to me if I want to break through and let's say podium in a big race, it's I need to be on course more. And that's why we were talking Bracken and we don't need to share any of your plans, but it's like how long has it been for you since you've been in a in an OCR, non-hybrid,
1: any sort of OCR? The last one would have been that stadium I ran with Rich Ryan out in Philly. So that would have been Fall two thousand twenty one. Okay. So a year and a half. Year and a half. A <laughs> year and a half since I've run an
0: OCR race. Yikes. Okay. So as we were talking, we don't need to share what your plans are, but it's like we had a talk afterwards. I was driving back from the venue and we were talking, I was like, Bracken We we might need to go put our foot to the flame here a little bit if we want to perform. Like we can't just show up and knock it out of the park. I don't think anybody really can. Um, with few exceptions, but it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, exposure is how do you prevent a sunburn? Well, you slowly, you expose yourself to it in doses leading up and eventually you're just tolerant, right? More mm-hmm. so. I feel like it's kind of treating OCR the same way. It is not running. It's run dominant, but it is. I would, yeah. I'm, if you say I'm a 1535 care, which my last time trial was just under, I think I was a 1635 care out there. I could feel it. It wasn't even mm-hmm. the same. And so.
1: Well, it's tricky because I look at it personally and say, I have a decade of experience in the sport. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, if anyone can come out and just do it off of muscle memory, it's me. Yeah. But what's the expiration date on that? <laughs> For me, it was 10 months. <laughs> if it's been 16, 18 months. Yeah. If I'm looking at 18 months and prior to that one, it was four months. And prior to that one, it was nine months it might just be rotting in the fridge right now. Like you talk about, we had that AMA and the question was, what's the grossest thing in my fridge? It might be my compromised running and my obstacle ability. That might be the thing that's rotting away on the shelf in the back. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, we've got, we've got backups of that. We have that in spades. We're fine. Mm -hmm. We might not. I might pick it up and it
0: might just disintegrate through my fingers. I can't wait to find out for, for perspective. Um, I was doing a lot of compromised work before I before Jacksonville and what San Luis Obispo last year. I had raced Glenn in Vegas, basically Rusty 2 years ago, year and a half ago. Again, it was kind of similar situation as this weekend coming into it off my run fitness, just going to get the feel for the course again. It was after COVID. They finally mm-hmm. opened it up I went to Vegas. And Glenn was always doing that stuff. And props to him, dude. He's 43, and he is an inspiration, man. That guy is just a stud. He's fit right now, too. He is fit. He's fast. Yeah, I was very impressed. But we went to Vegas. We had a good battle. I'd catch him on the run, pass him. He did the, It was the exact same. Literally, we had deja vu. And he beat me in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to some specific work a year later. Yeah, those gene... yeah. Gene. You have those jean running shorts on, <laughs> yeah, right? That's just the worst thing to get passed by a guy wearing jorts. You just feel like a real chump. <laughs> but point being is then fast forward, and Glenn's fit, and I respect the hell out of Glenn. And and also um, but, And props to Ethan Brown, too, who a uh, young guy who's really coming around into his own.
1: Ethan showed up.
0: Yeah. But fast forward a year later, I was doing compromise work. I had raced Jacksonville about a month prior to San Luis Obispo this year. And really, I stuck my nose in there. I was running as well as anybody in Jacksonville. Just had a tough weekend. Um, and then went to San Luis Obispo. And by the time I had gotten to the Spear in San Luis Obispo, I was 45 seconds ahead of Glenn, two and a half miles into the race, because I was just ready for it, mm-hmm. right? Like, I finally was up to speed. Well, think about that. And then I missed this, the whole Spear thing, and obviously he whooped me. But 45 seconds in two and a half miles or three miles? Is astronomical. And all that was acumen from being like, okay, I'm race ready. I've been doing compromise running. I've been practicing. I've been teaching to the test. My body can get right back in and out of things as it should. 45 seconds difference is huge. Even though technically my run fitness was no better at either time, they were about the same. Run fitness was no different on paper, but yet I'd be 45 seconds ahead with specific work. That's wild. That's profound mm-hmm. to me. And so that was a big takeaway. And Glenn's like, yeah, I guess I just got to race you tired on uh, day two. And Rusty, he's like, I like racing you, and that's the situation. I was like, yeah, it's really great. (laughs) That's classic Glenn. With a smile on his face. So that was just for perspective. And so uh, the other thing I wanted to get across, like if my recommendation to people listening have some races coming up, and there's all the jitters right before your first race, and the unknown, and where's my fitness really at? And I don't know if you agree with this, and I'd really like your take after – I say what I'm going to say is the biggest thing is getting in and out of overhead work. Anything that causes you, like you wouldn't think, oh, it doesn't tire out my legs because I'm on the monkey bars. Like no big deal. My legs are resting in quotes, but it doesn't work that way. Just because you're not on your legs doesn't mean you're, it doesn't mean you're recovering while you're doing it. In fact, you're bracing your core, you're restricting airflow, you're shunting blood to other areas of your body and you actually come off we like more tired legs and your engines blown up. You're like, doesn't make sense. I just did Olympus. My legs were barely involved. And so it's the overhead stuff. It's the hook. Like when you even go over a wall, the Valsalva maneuver, when you have to create force, mm-hmm. that is specifically mm-hmm. what takes a dagger to your running. So if you're going to get out and this will be my plan, if I decide to care about a race, like really get excited and train for it and want to hammer, um, it's all going to be overhead where I have to brace where I have to, Valsalva, where I have to tighten my core, restrict airflow, and require blood to go to my upper body, that is the key. So going from running to pull-ups, running to monkey bars, running to something overhead I think is more important than going from, like, running to jump squats or running to jump lunges, which I do prescribe, and it is great, but it has everything to do with that, that tightening of the whole body and shunting blood. That's why Olympus got me so bad. It's why Mm -hmm. monkey bars, of all things, um, I was like, wow, that took a hit to my system. So those are the things I believe. Get up and do grip switches on the on the bar. Run hard, grip switches for 20, get back to running. Things like that, that's the one missing piece. You can carry probably off your engine. You can do some of the things off your engine, but that one thing I don't think you can do without training it. How Do you, do you agree with, like, what do you feel hits you the most in an OCR if you're not trained for it? I guess you've always been trained for them when you tow a line, but...
1: Well, I think that there's three possible things that hit people. It's either quads, it's that diaphragm feeling, Mm -hmm. or it's your arms. Like when you pump up your arms, that's tough for people to run with. When you go over a wall or do something where you Valsalva or actually take an impact or you got to get down and do a crawl, that diaphragm gut burn is very difficult for people. And then that quad feeling, rolling mud, doing heavy carries, anything that gets that. And- each person has their own personal hell. It's like, which one is the worst for them? Sure. For me, it's the gut in the quads. I run, I mean, heavy arms feel so uncomfortable, but I run better with heavy arms than I do heavy legs. But it's, yeah, it's whichever one I'm doing less of, quad versus diaphragm, yeah. that's the one that sinks my race. And other people are the opposite. Some people, the quads don't get them in OCR or the diaphragm doesn't get them. And I think it's partially skill set and partially just what you naturally do in training. Mm -hmm. But one of those three is what ends people's day.
0: Yeah. For me, and it's the quads will burn up, but they'll come back around. But it's like, if my, my engine just can't recover from that Valsalva, it's like, why am I breathing so hard? My leg, it's just like (sighs) your body's your rev limiters in the, in the red. And you're like, how to get here. I'm not even moving that fast. It was like, you get stuck in fourth gear when you yeah. know fifth is right there, and you just it won't it won't click over. I I do kind of want to expand on that. I guess sure, if you don't mind, I don't
1: because I think the reason we do compromised running changes for which one of those three we're working on. So historically, when when I, an athlete I'm working with or with myself, if I'm doing compromised running based around my quads. That's about teaching my quads to blow up less and about teaching my body to recover while they're blown up and get them back quicker. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a physical act of get them really tired and then work through that until they come back to the, so your body recognizes that that's not the end of the line. That's a, it's a blip. You can get over that and get back to normal. When I do arm work, it's same kind of thing. It's building up resistance to that. So you don't pump out as quick. It's not necessarily about running with tired arms. It's about taking less out of your arms when you do whatever is going to be required in a race. But then, when it diaphragm-specific work, mm-hmm. for me, it seems like it's the doing those compromised reps are not as much about the running afterwards. It's about getting through those reps without getting hit as hard. Yep, I agree. I hand-release push-ups in my first stadium race. I did each one was like getting slapped in the gut, and after doing a few workouts out of it, you realize it's the breathing. It's figuring out how to breathe through obstacles, how to brace and breathe. Same thing with monkey bars, the rig, twister, how to get through it braced and loose in breathing. Yep. You know, Some people don't believe in compromise running. That's fine. But you do have to believe in the skill of being able to breathe through the work you're doing. 100%. Because if you can't breathe through that work, you're screwed and you cannot breathe through it when you're out of practice at it. 100%. And that Valsalva... Really good lifters can Valsalva hard and breathe appropriately because at some point you have to get new oxygen and oxygen in during reps yeah. and you CrossFitters are masters of this when they can just do heavy reps for time over and over and over, but they don't run out of oxygen. And it's the same thing for something like a crawl or any or Olympus that you can remember how to do the obstacle but your diaphragm may not be ready to appropriately relax and breathe
0: while everything around it is tense. Well, you butt in front of me and made my next point, Bracken. And that was, <laughs> I, no, it's, it's brilliant. I, I said to myself, don't forget to breathe when you get into these because It makes a huge difference. So purposefully breathing. And I was able to do that on Saturday in the super. It was dry. And as soon as it came to wet, all that went out the window and it made such Mm. a big difference. So breathing through things and you have to, you have to get up and get comfortable doing that makes a huge, huge, huge difference. Otherwise, of course you're not recovering, even though you're not on your legs and you're floating through space on these monkey bars. Well, you're holding your breath the entire time. That's not beneficial. So I agree with you. That makes a big difference. Then you can actually recover ish for the running to and see, but yeah, it's a good takeaway. I think, You know, the thing, so I'm happy with my races. It was so good to be back out on course. Um, I had fun, Uh, like fun, actual fun for it being miserable. It's as fun as you can be while being a little bit miserable. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to distract from the underlying situation here, which is running still matters. And I'm talking, I'm splitting hairs here about how to, get better. I told Bracken, I said, after the race, I said, would it like on Saturday in the super, I was like, yeah, I would have taken like 10th or 12th in a U.S. national series race with today's performance. And I believe that's where it would have been like nothing spectacular. Don't get me wrong. It would have been, you know, out of practice sort of performance, but the running still got me here at this level. It is the, the running. I don't want to like distract from the fact that like I still went out and had good races and race guys who've been Ethan's been racing a ton. Glenn's been racing a ton. They do a lot. They're well more prepared with their skill, but my running still kept me in the game. And that still is the main driver of our sport. But all of you listening are running and you are training and you are thinking about how to make those next steps. So you're prepared for the course itself. And that's why we're having this conversation. But I don't want to detract from the fact that I went out and my body still gave me something I'm happy with. It's dissecting that further, which yeah. is what we're doing, so I just don't want to distract from the fact that the pure run work I've been doing is and will pay it up, pay off and it paid off already. Um, so I just feel like that needs to be said. Like I'm not throwing that out with the baby or whatever you say, which I still am against throwing babies out. but
1: yeah, well that's, that's a good point to make, is that you talked about I couldn't access all the running I'd built up, which is true. But no one could access all their running. So you said I was reduced to a 1630 runner. But by getting down to 1515 or 15 flat or where, wherever you're at, you were reduced back your minute no matter what. Right. So getting to 15 minutes meant you could be reduced back to sixteen sixteen thirty, versus someone who went in on other things is a 1630 runner and now they're reduced to 17 or 1730. Like that reduction has to happen no matter what. So coming in with a bigger hammer to swing always matters. Even if the hammer feels foreign in your hands and way heavier than you are used to, you still have it. Mm. And that's an important point to make. And then that second piece is it was interesting watching people coming off obstacles because it almost seemed like people needed a second stride, a transition stride there were people who came off obstacles upright and people who came off it with a forward lean and you came off it forward lean. Glenn comes off it with his head hunched down and working and Ethan did at times. And other times Ethan came up upright for like five or six strides, and then you could see him actively tell himself, get to work. And he, he was aggressive. forced his head forward, and he started working. He looked like he yeah. was
0: working the hardest of us all. He was the grittiest of us all out there. You could see it. He was really fighting for it. I respect I respect his game. Yep. He worked hard. And then the next group came through, and you saw a lot of people land
1: upright and take their time getting back to running. And it was almost like you first three had that transitional stride. I'm going to throw this thing on. You got to lean into it. Yeah. I'm going to throw this forward lean. I'm going to get some inertia going. I'm going to pump into it until my running comes back around. Mm-hmm. It was almost like you had something like this this what, I don't even know like a a a link in your chain that you could throw on there knowing this is temporary, but it's just going to get me off And back up to pace until I can get back to what I do. Because then you'd come through five minutes later and everyone's running a little more upright and running their normal stride. But the people who did the best had the ability to lean into Mm. their running coming off of the obstacle even when they didn't want to. And it was cool watching Ethan because he is young, but he's also tough and has been practicing this. And some obstacles he nailed it and some you could literally watch it coming off the heavy carry. He took like five strides. And then you saw him say, get at it. And he moved his head forward and started turning over better. And that's not everyone can do that, but it was cool to watch him realize it in the moment and then see some more people come through that didn't necessarily get back to it the way he did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I was watching the video. I was like, dang, he is like, he's earning his right now. You could just see it in his face, in Mm -hmm. his body language. He was working harder than we were. And I don't, mean that in any disrespect i mean that out of respect like he was accessing um his grit Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool i will say i'm a natural forward leaner a bit um i actually couldn't push my hips through because if i ran tall my back would impinge so i felt all sorts of messed up out there on day two on day one it was kind of there so it was really exaggerated watching it, i was like oh my god kirk are you gonna fall forward on your face Right now, that's how forward you're leaning. Every time I tried to run upright, my back would grab on me. So it it just, yeah, let gravity do the work, I guess. But you are right. I've never even thought about that. And I'm going to watch the race back on the Assault Bike today as I recover and look at that. But there is something to it, a dropping to the ground, head down, let gravity pull you forward for a little bit until you're ready to open back up. That's a good point. I'm going to kind of look at that. And know that it's temporary.
1: Right. Know that I'm just going to use this for 20 seconds and then i can get back to running smoothly but i have to fabricate some sort of momentum and forward progression here Hmm. rather than just go to the woe is me i'm blown up this sucks because that that kind of creates that same fabrication of Hmm. of pace just in the wrong direction
0: i didn't pick that up by watching but I'll, i'll look again um the other thing, and this will be an unpopular opinion amongst the elite men, especially the former pro team. This is the first race I've paid for, the races I've paid for since 2017. Uh, cost me 430 bucks between the two days to race, just to race, knowing that there's Oof. no prize money. It's expensive to race, Bracken. You better save your pennies. Um, and... Knowing that there's no prize money for the elites other than the three k format from what it sounds, maybe I'm wrong there, but that's what I'm understanding. It felt like I was back to my roots. I went out there to have fun with no expectation. I wasn't out there to maybe I can make up the cost of my trip by winning or prize money. It was like people out there for the reason we should be out there to feel like childlike like and Full of, like, exasperation and, like, just the thrill of being there. There was no external anything. I didn't. Exasperation? Say, I, don't, I don't know what I meant. Just. What's exasperation? Whatever. Delete that. <laughs> but. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was just, like, kind of pure. I don't know how else to describe it. Like. The, exhilaration. Exhilaration. Exhilaration is what I was looking okay. for. Thank you, Brackett. Um, <laughs> Do you want to dwell on that longer? Uh, you had me lost for a second. Like. <laughs> I had myself lost. I it was
1: just, I was glorious. I was exasperated.
0: <laughs> I hated life. Oh my goodness. You got to try it. Oh, well, hey, that's not necessarily incorrect, but point being is getting a, a, a plaque And coming home with that and knowing what it was like out on course and going back and forth with Glenn, I don't care about the money. Like most people listening, like I work hard to make my living elsewhere. There's a very select people, few people in this sport who actually rely on race winnings. And I respect that grind because now once we're in it, you know how much of a grind it is. You've been there. Um, It just felt pure. Mm -hmm. Like I am going to go. I'll probably buy a race pass this year. I will probably go and spend money like everybody else because it was worth it to me. This weekend, I would have paid twice what I paid to go have the experience, bullshit with the people, feel like a part of the community, and come home with, even if I didn't podium or anything, it was just like, that was worth it to me, what it did for my soul. And honestly, on the way out, I was like, I don't even know if I should be going. I'm in the flight for five hours. I'm driving two hours from LAX in traffic. I'm swearing under my breath and stop. I'm like, why am I doing this? So it was like eight hours of travel. I, I got went for my shakeout run i was so stiff and old mannish and my heart rate was through the roof and i'm like what am i doing like i don't need to prove anything to anybody so what am i am i doing this for my what am i doing this for really i was grumpy jess knows this i was like i hate this place i told her i'm like this la i hate la i hate the whole like the whole thing i was grumpy and which i can tend to be and then i got there on race morning and raced, and i was like oh yeah this is why i do this in fact, I would go through twice the travel. I would go through twice the money. I would go through, like, this is, like, makes me a better human. And that sounds super fluffy, but it really, like, leveled up how I'm feeling about just sport, the connection to the podcast. It's been a while. And um, mm-hmm. I'll go pay 450 bucks for a race weekend to race both days. Yes, I've worked hard to make a good living, and I can afford to do that, but it's worth it to me. And I didn't expect anything in return. Like I wasn't going there looking for anything other than to get out on course and experience it. And I felt like maybe I was seeing it for the first time through like everybody else's eyes, as weird as that sounds. Like I was no different than an open waiver or an age grouper who's not even sure if they should be in the age group. They you know, it was like Mm -hmm. pure. And I know I'm reaching maybe in some people's eyes, but that's how it felt to me. And I really questioned it going into it. Is it worth spending fifteen hundred bucks or twelve hundred bucks for the whole weekend or whatever it was, and the time away from work yeah. for a day? Um, that's my my overall feel from the weekend. It's like I wish everybody could feel that.
1: no, I think there's something to that. When we talked to Diane, it was interesting that she she very clearly saw that we didn't think or see through her eyes, but it also became very apparent that other people don't think or see through our eyes. And this is one of those those pieces. It's not a woe is me. It's, it's just a different experience. I ran my first Spartan race not knowing there was prize money. Mm. And maybe there wasn't even at the first one. But the second one was a world championship, their inaugural world championship, and there was 10 grand on the line. And so from my second race on, that was 2011. So from 2011 through my last one was in 2021. So for 10 straight years, I didn't run a single race without the intent to at least make back my travel money. Yep. And people be like, oh yeah, that's, that's gotta suck, huh? And it, it doesn't, but it changes your experience of being out there because there is no, at least for for me and my mindset, there is no, just enjoy the course. It's, I can't enjoy it until I've broken even. Mm-hmm. And that, that doesn't happen in every race early on. Maybe early in the sport it did. You could break away early and relax and say, well, I've got top three no matter what. All right, let's have some fun in us race. But each year that got tougher and tougher, there was less and less of a guarantee that, that moment would arise at all. So I'm not looking for sympathy, nor are you, but it changes our expectation for the weekend. And when your expectation changes for why you're racing, it changes what is considered successful and what you can enjoy. And removing prize money, as much as that sucks for someone who wants to win prize money, it does change now your expectations of what is success and what would I consider enjoyable. Because I can't say I've gone out on course And enjoyed a loss ever in my life yeah. because you have the regret then of, Oh, not only did I get beat or whatever, I lost money. If that ship sailed before the race even started, you all lost money. No one's getting any back. Maybe you can take different joy out there. So I
0: like that you made that point. Yeah. I didn't expect that. I really didn't. Like I said, I was grumpy. You know, the only time I did that Kirk was in Hawaii. Okay. There was
1: no prize money. For the, when I went out there and there was a trifecta week in there and the first day or the second day, one of the two, the elite race wasn't technically an elite race. It was all open that day. Mm. And I just loved the course and I had a lot of fun because there was nothing on the line. So just run how I feel. And if I want to look at something, I'm going to look at it rather than just head down, go. And that was an awesome, enjoyable race experience. And granted it was Hawaii, Mm. but Back to back, thirteen mile
0: to fifteen mile races, and I enjoyed every step both days. So maybe there is something to that. It was more like I was I was chasing an experience. I wasn't chasing, and I mean I wanted to find out where I stacked up, and I wanted you know to feel it out, and and it was a learning thing for me again. I mean I'm pretty tenured in all this, and even ten months away, we needed I needed a refresher, obviously. But um, yeah, it was just like okay, there's there's nothing more pure than. I don't know, going out there without expecting anything monetary or, uh, in return. Mm -hmm. And so as much as it's going to be a little more hit to the pocketbook, and again, I'm standing in a place of privilege and sure. It's easy for me to say this because I got to stand on a podium and got somebody videoed me. Uh, you know, it's like, I get it. I'm not exactly looking at it through everybody's lens, but from my perspective, it's absolutely still worth it. Um, because I don't, I don't rely on race winnings so i thought that was a nice sentiment because i would surprised the heck out of me after uh remembering what travel is like to racing and and all that you know sort of mm-hmm. stuff and taking two shuttle buses to get to your rental car and then being stuck at the airport on the runway for an hour as they de-ice your plane and you're you know all that stuff where you're just like this is a knock nah. is it work i could have just stayed home and got a long run in and felt good about myself like no you can't you need to go race you need mm-hmm. to be in the community you need to to do those things because they propel you forward. And so, um, that was my big takeaway. And my other big takeaway is if you are not practicing your spear, like me, I'm an idiot. You're an idiot too, because you need to get dialed in on that thing. The new one is legit. That's my other takeaway. The two very short, sweet. And then, uh, philosophical. Those are my two.
1: I know we're running long, mm-hmm. but I have a, I have a final question for you, Yep. which is, let's say you're racing again in Jacksonville are you going to change anything about training? Will you start doing some compromise work or are you still going to let your season progress and build?
0: Um, TBD. That's a great question. When I left, I mean, even like today I'm like, I'm going to, my next quality session is going to be a compromise session because it needs to be, mm-hmm. it needs to be worked. Um, I'm hoping I can either race in Jacksonville or Arizona if I can get my stuff together before my trip, um, flights to Jacksonville look brutal. I think flying to Phoenix might be uh, significantly less expensive. And although I know they're doing the 3k format in Jacksonville, if I can find a cheap flight to Phoenix, I'll go race Arizona that same weekend instead. It's going to be much cheaper probably. Mm. So I don't know yet. I just, who cares? I'm going to go on course where it suits when it suits. But um, yeah, if, if I want to go and if I, if I want to race better, I'll need to do that. So the answer is yes. Okay. Okay. I, I actually think for you because I know you're not running as as much on flat terrain, but everything you're doing is broken and compromised and so I'm wondering if if you might be that's that's not true actually it's not you do mixed modality anyways I guess that's not the same i so everything's
1: in a vacuum i'll do I'm doing hundred percent of quality work right now on like in a normal week of what my volume would be, but fifty percent is running. And the other is broken up between ski erg or rowing, but they're done in a vacuum. Okay. Only twice now have I gone and done a compromise. Uh, uh, three now, I've done three compromise workouts where I've shuttled back and forth. Other than that, I would do my running intervals, and if I needed thirty to forty minutes of threshold, I'd get fifteen or eighteen, and I'd stop, and then I'd go do twenty on the rower, and then ten on the ski erg. Mm. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't run ski run row. Not until about a week and a half ago did I do one of those. So I'm still very much in a vacuum.
0: Yeah. Well, if you plan on racing coming up, I don't know how healthy you're going to be. I'd be like, well, if you can't run that much, you might as well make it compromised. Get a lot of juice out of that squeeze, right? hmm So I don't know. I don't know. Any other takeaways from you watching? Or I think, you know, I'm sure I missed a few things, but overall, really positive weekend. It was a busy venue. A lot of people felt um, felt good. Felt, felt like kind of used to feel. You know, as far as there was a few more people in the elite heats, they started the men and women together, which made the start corral have a little more energy. Um, and the same good people are running the show: Steve Hammond, Robert Koble, the same DJs, everybody kind of, you know, doing their job. It was, it was a well-run event. Good. Did you did you feel like you wanted to get back out there? That's what I was curious about.
1: Yeah, it did. But I also had one of those where I looked and watched and said, "I'd I'd be in." deep, deep water over my head right now. You guys have fitness and specifically running that I just, I, I can't hold on to that right now. So it was, it was sobering, but exciting. I was sitting there sweating, watching you. <laughs> Lisa was like, hey, do, you, do you have pit stains? Like yep. he <laughs> Yeah, I do. I'm watching Kirk race right now. That's cute. I'm really nervous. I was talking to my phone. I'm like, Oh, Kirk's got it. Okay. Kirk, he, he just caught up. He just pulled up oh, he's making, mo- oh, Glenn just resurged. She's sitting there trying to do something that's and I'm, I'm
0: narrating what's happening. Mm-hmm. I was in it. It's interesting how slow we look running. Like I forget, like one, it doesn't come through on camera. I'm like, we look like we're running seven minute pace and that's not a dig again. I know we got to be cautious around pacing and all that because of our recent episodes. But like I looked at, it, I was like, damn, we look slow. And I don't know if it doesn't translate or that's just what OCR is. I couldn't tell. I was like, if somebody didn't tell me and they said they're running seven minute pace, I'd believe them. I was like, no, we're running like five thirty. Yeah, it just doesn't look like that. Running
1: never looks fast on camera, but it, OCR running, compromised running, never looks
0: as impressive as what it feels like. <laughs> it just looks like you're in molasses. Like somebody just put you on like point eight speed. Like it's like, did they slow this down? A you little? know who always looks
1: fast though? Glenn, Mark Botros oh, always yeah. looks fast. The when fast he runs cadence on guys.
0: The high turnover guys. Yep. Mark Godette looks fast. Mm-hmm. Rich Ryan. Chris Brown looks fast. Yep. Rich Ryan. The high cadence guys. I don't. I was counting strides, so I was running behind Ethan. And we need to end this thing. But I was running behind Ethan and Glenn. And I was like, okay, I'm not like a big strider. But I think I actually have a deceivingly long stride for my form. Like, I was like Ethan looked like he opened up more and Glenn has this quick turnover my feet my cadence was slower than mm-hmm. both of them notably i was like okay Glenn's taking for every 5 steps he's taking 6 for example on me and Ethan was somewhere in between i was like it doesn't really translate i'm like how is my how am i moving as fast as they are but i'm turning over notably slower but my stride doesn't look long by any means it was very I'm like trying to wrap my head around my own mechanics like i i don't look like very fluid yet my body travels through space well. So I'm like trying to figure that out. If I'm just controlled falling perfectly or what it is, but it's like an optical mess with it's messing with me right now. But maybe that's just a you're hype. We're all hypercritical of ourselves. I don't know. I think it's probably both. Yeah. I will say though that that's one downfall of super shoes,
1: as they allow you to get a lot out of less cadence. They do. That's true. And so I think pairing those with some trail work as you get closer to races is almost mandatory.
0: Yeah. My cadence felt very slow. that's a good point yeah but i do like those super shoes remember about what year and a half ago we were like i'm never running them if i pr in a super shoe it doesn't count now i'm like progression long run Mm -hmm. where my alpha's at where are they out where are they at it's terrible that's right how do you want to end this thing abruptly okay
1: now with a congratulations you did it you 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 put the you put the running public on your back and you got out there And it felt weightier to me. I've said this before about racing. It felt like it mattered more that you were out there racing. I was really proud of it. So I'm happy for you and proud for you. Thanks, Bracken. And you got to win. Like, we we didn't glorify the results. You took first on day one and second on day two. Yeah. And as much as it doesn't matter to some people, it also really matters to some people. So congratulations on the performance itself.
0: Sometimes you got to put your money where your mouth is. And I'm. uh, That's right. I'm done opening my mouth. I think you are too. In regards to what I intend to do, I'm gonna just go do it now. We're gonna keep teaching you like yep. we are, but it's time to uh, it's time to put all these words we've been talking at you into action. So that's what we're gonna do this year. Yeah. Like like Dave Chappelle said, sometimes you just gotta race. <laughs> Is that what Dave Chappelle said? Dave Chappelle said that. I must have missed that one.
1: I think it was live at the Fillmore. I could I could be wrong about that, but someone will get the the
0: reference. Not me. I never get the references. It's terrible. That's okay. Okay, abrupt stop. See ya.